Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 39 and 40 of The Eye of the World, Weaving of the Web, and The Web Titans. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 19 of the Will Read. Um, it's a great episode we have today. So it's myself, we got Ian on the line, and then also we got Chris as well, as always. We have a guest host tonight. So before I get into anything else with personal life, I want to just go ahead and write out, introduce John from Wad Up, the YouTube channel. You might have seen his stuff before, but I'll let him talk a little about himself, uh, his experience with Wheel of Time, and maybe a little bit of his channel as well. So, John? Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I love doing podcasts. I think they're a lot of fun. Not something I uh, I do, but I like going on other people's. <laughs> uh, so, uh, like I said, I run a, a YouTube channel called What Up. Uh, you can find it at youtube.com forward slash What Up. Uh, and I deal mainly Wheel of Time on Prime News. So, Wheel of Time is being made into a major show on Amazon Prime. And I normally deal with all the news surrounding uh, the filming of the show as well as uh, some spoiler-free explaining videos about the Wheel of Time and just my thoughts on the Wheel of Time. Um, I've been reading the Wheel of Time for 30 years since the first book, Eye of the World, first came out, uh, and I am currently on my 46th reread. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we have mm, a mm, mm. expert, uh, you know, uh, in the in the room with us. So <laughs> I'm I'm not intimidated at all, not at all. <laughs> I'm not speaking tonight. <laughs> I get in every statement with a question mark. I think maybe this is what's going on? <laughs> question mark. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so after 46 times, uh, I, I I've not read it that many times. In fact, I'm on my second, third, and fourth read through at the same time uh, for various reasons. Um, I've told people this. I'm, I'm, by reading reading by paper, I'm on Winter's Heart. By audiobooks, I'm on Fires of Heaven. For the podcast, of course, on Eye, Eye of the World. So mm. um, I'm I'm in lots of different places at once. Um, Crazy. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, but each time is different. So it's, um, it's definitely a diff- different uh, – in even different media as well. Um, so it's been been interesting, but but I, I am not anywhere close to to uh, you, John. <laughs> there there are people who have read it more than me. Uh, one of them being actually Sarah Nakamura, the book consultant for the show. She's read it far more times than I have, uh, but I don't think she has an exact count. And then it's it's hard to talk about partial counts too, because I know people that will pick it up after they read it ten times. They'll just read a book here and there. Um, <laughs> So yeah. Anyway, um, and there's certain chapters I've read hundred times. So I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. So moving forward, uh, normally we go into our personal life and what's going on. I mean, of course, I'm not sure how it is up in, in Canada right now. I'm sure it's about the same, but we're in quarantine. Mm-hmm. We are too. Um, yep. So we've been in quarantine for a while. Um, there's not much going on in my life because of that. Uh, we're getting ready to plant my garden. <laughs> Other than that, you know, it's <laughs> it's, it's pretty much um, yeah, um, pretty boring. But anything new with you guys, Chris Ian? So uh, I'll I'll chime in. I had a little 
uh, change up little Frago in my life. Um, I got my three boys for a week last week, um, which isn't uh, so I, I mentioned before, you know, being divorced and, and we got the visitation and whatnot. Uh, but that last week wasn't really part of the, the normal visitation. Things really got thrown up in the air with this whole lockdown. Um, and the kid's mom and I, of course, we're, we're trying to make sure we're doing things in the best interest of the kids and not get them exposed uh, needlessly, whatever. But we both kind of came to the understanding, like, uh, I've been, uh, Alan, you're the only one who gets this reference, but I've been um, at my dad's house on the river in King Queen County, which is middle of nowhere, Virginia, for a very long time. Uh, so, you know, every time you're around somebody new, you're adding a little risk, but it, it was so low. We talked about it and the kids were just jonesing to get out of their house and they wanted to spend time with dad. So anyways, I got him for a week and it was fantastic. Um, I'll put air quotes around this. I still had to telework air quotes, um, <laughs> but really I spent all day fishing or four wheeling or, you know, teaching them to ride the mini bike uh, or take another jet ski. We haven't got the boat in yet because it still needs a little more work. Um, but the man last week was just, amazing for me so i'm on cloud cloud nine right now i'm still riding that high um that's awesome yeah that's where i've been um for me the last week has kind of been going went by really quickly i have been learning to run so i've been doing the couch to 5k app which has been really interesting um just because for those that know me they know i hate absolutely hate cardio but I'm starting to appreciate what cardio can do for the body. Um, I say that very loosely, but mm-hmm. I did have a big PR today. I, my first mile was a 14.27. That's all walking. And then my second mile was 12.24. So, nice. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. pretty good pace for walking a mile. Uh, and I'm also the last, uh, couple of weeks i've been actually running a little over a mile like 1.4 miles a day which um i haven't been able to do that since uh 99 so <laughs> it's been a little while since i've run a mile um and i'm getting ready to enter the immersion teaching program i'll be starting classes in, in about a month from now so awesome uh really gearing up towards that and and working to figure out how we're going to educate kids for the last quarter of their schooling. We still have two months left essentially, and we have to come up with a plan while enacting the plan. So (laughs) that has been my world. That's another way of saying, making it up as you go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, then of course Mother's Day passed. So like I um, put 40 bags of mulch on the ground between Saturday and Sunday three different house uh, pulling weeds and then mulching uh, and cutting grass so I'm still tired from that but it was all good work so Chris if you get faster running I'll even be more terrified of you so John you don't know Chris but Chris is is um is our parent um he might even be our, he might even be our, our loyal um yeah <laughs> so Chris, Chris is six six how much can you bench press I don't know it's, he's a uh, the last I did a max bench, I was at 385. Last big squat I did, 
I've come down a little bit. I was at eight oh five, but now I'm uh, down to seven forty five. Holy! Um, I don't deadlift much. <laughs> I, I've only done deadlifting for like a year, so the most I've deadlifted was uh, six seventy five. Uh, I can leg press sixteen eighty. That's the entire <laughs> machine full of one hundred and forty five pound plates and a person on top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to say true. that I am still not intimidated and I feel perfectly comfortable in this group right now. I'm yeah, I'm in my happy place. And, and let me tell you, I went and walked Riverview Park, which is one of the local parks yeah. today, and that's where I, I put in the work and got my, my twelve twenty-seven mile. And when I say people were like, holy shit, I was coming up on them so fast and like I'm learning to breathe. <laughs> my nose too so it's like a train (laughs) (laughs) barreling behind them (laughs) nice love it Uh, pretty fun (laughs) that's awesome so um chris you also had a country or state i think you're gonna do yeah i was thinking we're gonna go down to south america and we're going to choose colombia uh, just because I like Spanish people. Sure. <laughs> yeah. John, I'll fill you in. It's something we do every week where we where we uh, try to find a country we don't have listeners in, our oh, nice. estate, yeah. and, and, and try to ask our audience to find someone out there. Um, so Colombia's this week, and we're trying to find someone from Colombia. I've been to Cartagena uh, twice, so it, it's, it's really nice, nice. there. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. So quick predictions from last week um, and previous, actually it's mostly from last week, these ones, and then we'll get right into the episode. So a couple of predictions we had. So the band's going to get back together again soon. Uh, We're going to get all the group back together. I think, uh, I think it was both of you guys said that. And then we had uh, um, Chris's whole entire relationship predictions. So (laughs) um, let's do those real fast. So we had Lan's going to get with Nynaeve. Perrin's going to get with Egwene. Uh, first, Rand is, Chris said Rand's going to get with Matt, but then Ian, <laughs> Ian corrected him <laughs> saying that Rand's going to get with Ben. Um, so <laughs> I guess Chris is going with the gay Rand-Matt thing, and then, uh, and then, Rand, then Ian said Rand and Min. And the last thing was that uh, Chris predicted that Lane, Lan was going to leave Moraine as a warder for Nynaeve. And Ian said, if that happens, he's given up on the book completely. I'm going to say is after reading the last chat, the, the, the most recent chapters, though, my, my love predictions have changed a little bit. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Thor sounds great. Oh, hey. <laughs> All right. So with that being said, we'll move right into chapter 39. And John, as well, you know, anytime you hear something and you want to chime in, just feel free to like add your your infinite amount of wisdom to anything they're <laughs> yeah, saying and feel free to probe them ask some questions um make them think uh they'll they'll kind of go on their own and that's kind of how they do it okay. so <laughs> uh, chapter 39 weaving of the web um let's talk about the the title and the symbol is the lion again um and more so the title um but yeah let's talk about it so our our lion, I think before uh, this is our second time having it. Is that right? Yeah, Camelin was the first time the chapter. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, so uh, I think I threw out there it was a sign of royalty. I still kind of expected the same from that some involvement or some backstory with um, uh, the queen there. 
uh, but I was still more attached to the weaving of the web. I, I will say, um, you know, when I first read it, I, I was hoping we would dig down a little bit deeper into how the the one true power works and we didn't really get into that so by the end of the chapter i actually thought about it, i was like huh like it wasn't what i thought um but i gave it a, a second read before we got here tonight and without getting into it too much there's things that happen here i mean this chapter seems so simple uh the next two chapters really but they could set up for relationships um that that could become crucially important way down the line. So maybe that's what the weaving of the web is hinting at. Like maybe it seems so subtle now, but later on in, you know, book seven or eight, we're going to look back at this and go, Oh yes. I remember when they met or when they did that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I got to ask a question. What did you guys think of these two chapters? Like without getting through what the chapters did, what did you think of them? Because I'll let you know that after 46 rereads, or I'm on my 46, chapter 40 of The Eye of the World is still my favorite chapter of any chapter in the entire series. Oh. So before we started, <laughs> before we started, Ian's like, Chris, I'm like, yeah, Ian. He's like, what did you think about these chapters? <laughs> Well, he's like, did you get the warm, cozy feeling? And I'm like, yes. I was so excited. I don't know why. Like, these chapters are probably so simple but so complex all at the same time. And I feel like it. they affirmed some of our beliefs. But at the same time, they just all of a sudden we're like 80% through the book. And then we're introduced to all these new characters mm-hmm. all at one time. And it's like a breath of fresh air. Um, to have new characters coming into play, um, to have some further development of the book, uh, to realize that a couple of the characters that have been vital to the story from the very beginning are just now coming into play. It kind of boggles the mind that we've literally read, like, you know, with my version, 572 pages, and we're just seeing Logan. <laughs> it just, like, dawned on me as I'm reading, like, we are five, like I have an electronic copy, 572 pages. 74% of the book is done. Yeah. And we're just seeing this important character. And, and like, in chapter two, because when the peddler starts talking about the false dragon, uh, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's only been 545 <laughs> pages or so since we talked, since we met him. Uh, so, like, it, it was just, it's almost rewarding to read these chapters. <laughs> so, I just had to agree with Ian 110%. Yeah, so <laughs> these two chapters are a twist for me, because we've had a couple chapters before already where I've chimed in, and I'm like, all right, Chris, you're going to do all the talking, because I didn't get much out of this. Uh, and both 39, but especially 40, like, if you ask me to summarize it and give you the highlights... I could probably get through it like pretty quick and say this happens, this mm-hmm. happens, this happens. Uh, so I, but at the same time, like that's why I talked more like feeling and impression when I first asked Chris about it because I, I 
I don't have as many notes. I didn't highlight quite as much as I normally do, but there was something, especially about chapter 40, that was just, it's like I mentioned, I have obviously haven't read further on, but there's, there's so much that could be set up from this. Like there's such a significant jump, um, in, in Rand's relationship, uh, to the rest of the world and his, his development in the storyline. I don't know. I, it just, very, very, very excited Chris. about it. There's a lot of potential now <laughs> going on here again. So, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, let's go ahead and get started right into chapter 39. So, it starts with Rand. He's looking down the street to a bunch of a big crowd going through the streets. Uh, it's a big day in Camelin. Uh Rand's excited, obviously. And he asks Matt, you know, hey, Matt, you coming? And of course, uh, Matt said, why don't you take your trollic friend with you? And he's being dark and, and, as I said last episode, he's being emo, emo Matt. Yeah, <laughs> <Careful. kind> of, <laughs> yeah <laughs> stare at the wall. Um, so, you know, Rand leaves Matt. So, I, you know, my first question I had for you guys is what do you think about Matt at this point? I, I know we've talked a lot about Matt in the previous chapters, but it, you know. So it didn't take more than a couple pages to realize that the author right now was just kind of sweeping him to the side. More of the focus is, is Rand. Um, so I guess I didn't really look at it from, Hey, what's going on with Matt? Not much has changed from my perception. Like he's going in some sort of depressive state. It might be still, uh, because of him taking this dagger and there's some sort of connection there and it's slowly taken over, yada, yada, yada. Um, my, my questions on these first couple of pages and him leaving Matt, uh, Rand leaving Matt had more to do with Rand. Um, and like, I try to put myself in these characters shoes and still we're not timeline wise. We're not that far away from Rand and Matt that only knew Edmund's field and all this innocence and everything. And now they're in this gigantic city. There's like all of this shit has happened to them. Uh, and Rand is totally content with just leaving his lifelong, one of his lifelong best friends, chilling there, knowing he has issues. Um, so you no, know, I, I I noted in in Discord in um like one of our uh, pre episode chats, I just made the comment about how Rand in these two chapters really started growing on me, and his storyline, like I'm really starting to dig it. Uh, but initially, that was not the case. The first couple of pages, I was thinking he was an asshole again <laughs> for just leaving Matt. Um, like, if if we were in this situation, Alan, like, let's say uh, you and I hopped in a boat and we're traveling somewhere you have not been yet and I have not been yet. And it's uh, there's people kind of fighting in the streets. There's a lot of tension, political unrest. And you're just not feeling like going anywhere and you're in this depressive state. I'm not going to leave you alone. Well, same thing. I'll say the same to you, Chris. I I mentioned Alex. I've known him longer, but to either one of you, like, I just wouldn't do that. So So right off the bat, I thought Rand was an asshole, but then he gets gets really cool really quick. So It's funny you brought that up because up until this point when Rand and Matt have been on their own, they've been, admittedly, Matt was not exactly the perfect friend and didn't look out for Rand as much as he should have um, because of whatever's going on with them. But uh, they were they leaned heavily on each other because they they made it to Gamewood um, on their own uh, and Rand did everything for Matt after that point Matt did as much as he could for Rand and then what you said there is, is actually something I was going to bring up Rand just goes yeah see you later 
and he takes off into the city and he's like, this, this is the greatest thing ever. I, I'm seeing all this cool stuff. And my buddy, he, he forgot all about him. Um, so that, that's something that I'm, I'm glad you brought up because at this point in the books, on my first read, I hated Rick. I didn't like him. I didn't like yeah. him at all. Uh, and to be fair, I didn't really like Matt either. Not very much. Uh, my favorite character, I think, at this point in the books, would have been Perrin uh, out of the three boys. And uh, I, I didn't <laughs> enjoy reading these chapters with them in it because I didn't like the characters until we hit, like we said, chapter 40, my favorite chapter ever. And then was, everything was forgiven and I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy how that happens, right? Like... <laughs> Yeah. Something awesome happens. Oh man, this guy's great. <laughs> sure, I'm in that boat. Yeah. So when I'm looking at these chapters and looking at the characters, uh, you can kind of see a role reversal that isn't something that Rand's used to. Normally, it's Matt that's pushing for the adventure, and Matt seems to be needing to recharge. Like he's just completely fed up with the idea of going out and venturing. Uh, he definitely is maybe suffering from a little bit of PTSD from the travels. I mean, he's been on kind of an adrenaline high going from city to city, avoiding the dark friends and, and trying to work his way to get to this point, only to find that he hasn't achieved his goal, which is finding the rest of his friends. And now he's at this point to where he's like, you know, everything is lost. We're never going to find them. And he's outside of his element. He went from a place where... Uh, the two rivers he was the man he was the adventurer and you know there was always that comfort of being in the two rivers and now he is completely out of place he is no longer in control he is no longer one of the biggest troublemakers around so he's definitely coming to terms with who he is and and what aspects of his life he can currently control and he seems to just kind of be shutting down and recharging and getting himself um, kind of ready to, to figure out the next step. But then you have Rand, who is now having to be the encourager. And Rand never really has played that role. He's not a very encouraging character. He's always been the one to kind of just speak his mind and whatever happened around him happened. I mean, you could see that from his first interaction with Egwene in the uh, first few chapters um, when they were having conversations he almost right away started a fight between the two because he really didn't know how to speak in a way that encouraged. And then if you look at his conversation, the way he was trying to goad Matt into coming out, it was like, I'm not going to keep bringing you meals up those stairs forever. You could do with a bath. You know, he wasn't like being mean about it, but he was just like, quit being stubborn. You kind of got to do these things for yourself. And he's like, last chance to go together, Matt. I'm leaving now. So in his mind, Matt was going to come around and want to go out eventually the same way they did um, when the whole crew was back in, um, oh, I forgot what city they were in, uh, earlier in the book when the same situation occurred and then Matt decided to come along. So Barillon? Uh... Yes. Yep. Well, Barillon, Matt left early and left, and they were all sleeping. And yeah. Rand got left behind. Yeah. Anyway, so kind of re- role reversal. Matt was the one that already left, and and yeah, yeah. I think P- Perrin was the one that didn't want to go out. But anyway, so yeah. All right. Going forward, um, so Rand goes downstairs. Master Gill's there. He said someone in the city's asking about him, um, some crazy beggar, and that there's strange shapes creeping around the walls. 
And and the innkeeper's kind of just laughing it off. And and Rand's like, "What kind of shapes are they?" Like, and he's like, and he's like, "You're just crazy. This is people looking at stuff." And, um, Rand's definitely nervous. So um, it's Pan Fane. It's Fane. This is <laughs> Pad and Fane. Pad and Fane. Sorry, yeah. it's Pad and Fane. He's the one looking for them. I'm telling you, he's following them. He's stalking <laughs> them. He's trying to kill them in their sleep or turn them over to the white cloaks. <laughs> At this point, he might be in, in cahoots with the dark friends, but but Pat Fane is the man. I'm telling you. <laughs> so you think you think he's a? Uh, you guys predicted like a while back that he's a white cloak spy. Um, you think you think he's still that or? You know, uh, I, I think he's a double agent at this point. He's playing both ways. That way, whoever's going to get him, the the most bang for his buck, is who he's going to turn the boys into. Okay, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. and I don't even know if it's bang for his buck. He he's so weak minded, like such a simple minded person. Like he could really be controlled by, I don't know, anybody that can threaten him anyway. Uh, but when when I read Beggar. Uh, that was the first thing I thought too. Was Pat and Fane was somehow still involved in tracking him and part of it. I, I don't know why. Maybe because we talked about him so much before. Uh, but that's kind of who I assumed it was. Well, I guess we'll find out. Maybe, perhaps someday. Sure. So, do you guys do you guys like the character of Pat and Fane? Like, is that uh, do you like how he has been in the books so far? I mean, he's cast in the show, so he's he's definitely a part of the first season, which is probably most of, if not all of the eye of the world. So is he a character you guys want to see more of as the books progress? Uh, there are two characters so far that I would preemptively punch in the face. <laughs> Pat, <laughs> and Pat and Fane is one. Like right off the bat, he'd, he'd stroll into town on his cart and be like, hey, I'm Pat and Fane. I'd punch him in the motherfucking face. And then <laughs> the other one would be, uh, who's our... Who's our T-shirt guy from the Dark Friends? Pater. So if Pater were to show up and try and like very timidly threaten me about, hey man, did you hear about these dark people? Maybe you should hold it. Just come. I don't know what I'm doing. I'd punch him in the face. Also, <laughs> yeah. so th- those two, I have no love for. I really liked him as a character in the beginning, but he punked out so quick. I was like, ah, he's going to be one of those guys that's going to come up in like five or six books, and he's going to ruin something for our group. Like, I just, (laughs) I can't get rid of the idea that he's going to ruin something in some way. Like, it just won't go away from my mind. So (laughs) I know we're going to see more of this character just because I believe it in my mind. And I'm going to make it happen. I'm willing it into one of these books. <laughs> so he's the type of character, and we've—I remember we talked about this right when we met him. He's the type of character that is only loyal to himself, and that's dangerous in a storyline like this. Because if he has any information about our guys at all, like that's kind of what I was getting at. It doesn't matter who the uh, air quotes bad people are if they get their hands on a person like pat and fane it won't take much to break him it won't take much to get him to talk it won't take much to get him to work against our party here so i've i've i saw him as a threat from very early on and uh, in that note as much as i don't like him and i'd punch him in the face i guess to answer your question i do hope he shows up (laughs) some more 
uh, because he would really throw, um, you know, a stick in the front wheel of of this whole storyline. So yeah, that'll be fun. Bring him on. He is our little finger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your little finger. So, um, the guild tells Randall also that if he's going to go out, go out the alley because the end's being watched. So I had a bunch of question marks around that. Um, I, I don't know if, if you guys had thoughts about that, but it's, um, there's obviously people that were watching and we get into a little bit once he gets out. So you find out as well, right in the same scene, what the red and the white finally mean that the red cord around, you know, everybody's wearing is for the queen and the whites against the queen. And there's much more white than there is red. So this, that's like almost like a civil war and like this uprising is like, it's just tension is tangible in the city right now. Um, but kind of that tension's kind of relieved right now because the false dragon's coming today. Uh, Logan's being being brought in. Yeah. So, so uh, kind of like you said initially, uh, I circled it like, wait, what's so special about what is this? The Queen's in um, Queen's blessing. Queen's blessing. Yeah, that's what it is. So, um, why are they singled out? Why are people watching them? Uh, is Matt really safe staying there? <laughs> Did uh, Tom guide them to a not-so-safe place? Like, these are the things that initially pop in my head. Uh, but then, as the chapter kind of plays out, the next couple of chapters, uh, like you said, it makes sense understanding the divisions and uh, how the the red folks, those that support the queen, uh, seem to be a little bit outnumbered at this point. But uh, because of Loghain coming, there's this... Uh, pause in the hostilities, if you will. You know, people are more focused on that than anything else. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it kind of answers itself as the chapter goes on. But I, I did, sure. like you said, I circled it also like, well, what's so special? What's going on here? Well, I mean, I love the quote. It's like there's two of those blood be damned traitors sitting across the street watching my front door. They know where I stand by the light. So, you know, there that division is very clear. And you know, they're searching for trouble in the city. So you, you definitely know that there's going to be some type of civil war uprising in the city. Um, probably not in this book, but um, if not, then in the second book. I feel like there's going to have to be some type of big battle that breaks out. I feel like Loghain may um, be the catalyst that triggers some big issues, Um and as we go through this book, we may see the beginning of that and then a continuation into the second. So I feel like we, we're going to have, again, some, something big occur really soon here. Uh, and then I, I like our, our new uh, character that he may never be mentioned again. Uh, is it Lamguin? Is that how you pronounce the name? <laughs> the the yeah. bodyguard? Yeah. Yeah. He just seemed pretty freaking awesome. It's like he saw everything through those heavy lidded eyes and for all his bullish bulk he could move like a cat he also thought queen um, or guess was the light made flesh or near enough there was a dozen like him scattered around the queen's blessing so just like i love the vivid description because i feel like i'm that type of person or i want to be like that like i want to just be like big and bulky but then i want to be able to move with the quickness and and definitely protect that which needs to be <laughs> So I was just like smiling when I read that description. I'm like, man, this is an awesome character. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And so there's nothing about him. 
that shows he's intimidated or scared or anything like that. He's totally confident in his own abilities. And maybe it's more than that. He's just so confident in what he believes in and his purpose that he just doesn't care. And when he talks to Rand, it's not even like, it's like you said, it's going to happen. The Bloods and the Crips are going to have it out. Um, And it's not if the trouble starts. He says, when the trouble starts, you'll be a handy one to have here, not somewhere with a knife in, in your back. So he's he's convinced shit is going to hit the fan. It is going to kick off at some point, but he is not worried about it at all. Right? Like he, he's completely, completely confident in either his mission or his ability, one of the two, uh, but he ain't worried about it. And so I think it's really important to look at the colors that were chosen for these armbands or whatever they decide to use them for, um, red versus white. Uh, and the fact that you know, red kind of stands for the blood or the queen. And then you have white, which almost indicates that these people aren't necessarily aligned with Loghain or the dark one, our dark friends, but more or less the white cloaks. Um, and I think we kind of see that because of the fact that our queen is friends with the Aes Sedai. And then we have a lot of white cloaks that are in the city as well. So maybe these are people that are aligning with the white cloaks and don't necessarily feel like the queen is living up to um, the standard and message of the white cloaks. So we may see um, a huge battle involving the queen and her guards and the white cloak. Yeah, is yeah, that potential. That, that that's possible. That's that's part of what I was thinking. I right. mean, we have a big group of white cloak marching on the city now, and that just so happens to be the group that. Um, Perrin and Egwene just escaped from. Mm. And, you know, their ultimate goal is to kind of do away with the dark friends, and that includes Loghain, so what better way than to storm the city, capture all of the enemies, and do away with them all at one time? Like, that's what I would do. You have this huge collective of people. You can easily situate your army within the city without causing too much fuss because so many people are entering at one time, you could easily disguise them as just commoners coming in to see this false dragon and then just create essentially a a war within the walls and who's to stop them. Oh, crazy. This is, this is infinitely harder than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They go deep in all sorts of tangents. So this this happens regularly, and you know that me as a host, I'm just like, well, yeah, sure. I, I've learned to say sure a lot. Well, just, just a, okay. I know they haven't read any further than, than uh, chapter 40, and they're talking all these, these ideas and what they think. Mm-hmm. So it's so hard not to just nudge them. No, no just nudge them a little bit in one way or the other, like because they're, they're really good ideas. Um, yeah, and and some things and some things are really close, and some things are spot on, and some things are yeah, left yeah, field, and the whole thing is not to let them know. So uh, we'll keep moving on. So Rand's moving his way through the old city towards the inner city, or that's the new city, moving towards the old city, the inner city, and there's fights breaking out here and there, and um and and Rand almost kind of gets in fights with some of the white cloaks or the white armband people, but he joins the song. Um, just heading towards the inner city, just kind of blends with the crowd, and um, and just kind of describes how crowded the streets are, and how and how he's trying to find a spot to see again. And, and we finally get to the inner city and describes that as well. So, um, 
and in great detail and all the glory. Yeah, so this gives a nod back to your uh, O'Gear friend, and um, I'm I'm assuming this inner city that that's the portion that they built. Mm-hmm. That's what O'Gear we went built. over before. Yeah, and uh, I I liked how th- there was emphasis on the part that was built and added on by man was just uh, I don't know. You get the impression it was a little more hasty with with no concern to the natural layout at all. They just put what they wanted where they wanted and where they needed it. Yeah, but the think, inner city yeah. built by the O'Gears, like the, the buildings, the roads, the everything was just part of the landscape and it all flowed together and, and blended together. And um, so, you know, we only spent a couple paragraphs talking about that, but, you know, I'm immediately thinking about the, the O'Gears and uh, how he spoke so highly about uh, the greenscape and the forest and nature and all of that. And obviously what they, what they put their hands on, what they built here was very much focused on that and, and not taken away from it, but trying to build into it. Mm-hmm. It was very cool. Yeah. You think about like a human built city, like a New York or something like that, where it's a grid. If there's a hill in the way, we take the hill out. <laughs> uh, right. You know, it's, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, versus, uh, so have any of y'all been to, um, well, a lot of the Italian coast is like this, but have y'all ever been I to Capri, been. the I've, island off of Naples? I've been to Rome and Florence, but. Uh, so it, it, there's a lot like this. You could do some Googling if you want to see it, but they certainly didn't spend time like blasting into the hillside to try and, you know, build the touristy center they wanted. Uh, the the streets kind of flow up and down the hills and and they wind the way the landscape is and it's like you you take this little touristy beach cottage city area and just gently laid it on this landscape that was there and the way it fit is you know that's what you got and it, sure. it almost seems like these houses and buildings were just naturally grew in, in place there so that, that's kind of what i was so much about here. jordan i've purposely yeah. not researched him as a person just because i don't want to influence my thought but when you read his descriptions and you look at the imagery that he creates it's this sweeping rises and dips presented new and surprising vistas at every turn parks seem mm-hmm. different angles even from above where their walks and monuments made patterns pleasing to the eye through barely touched or excuse me though barely touched with green Towers suddenly revealed high-covered, piled-covered walls glittering in the sunlight with a hundred changing colors. Sudden rises where the gaze was thrown out across the entire city to the rolling plains and the forest beyond. All in all, it would have been something to see if not for the crowds that hurried him along before he had a chance to really take it in. So, I mean, what you're describing, Ian, and what he's describing here kind of go hand in hand with this whole idea that you can take and shift nature to really express the beauty of the area even further by just adding to it um, in a loving and caring manner. And, you know, when you have that type of imagery and then you've seen it in person, it really does bring you into the book and it makes you feel like you're living in that moment. So I think that's really neat the way he did that. Yeah, and we talked about it before. I mean, a lot of people do crap on Jordan for his over detail, but a lot of people also praise him for his detail. Well, so 
His descriptions are are very much. He's he's wordy. Large. He, he's very wordy. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Um, but I, yeah. I I don't think it's a bad thing. Stephen King's wordy too, and he's not a bad author by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think he's written a bad book yet. Um, but it's great because because he's so descriptive and so wordy. When you read his stuff, um, the first time you're you're seeing it, like the you just read out all that stuff about the parks and the nature and all the things that went on, and you could picture it in your head. Uh, whereas if you look at Another writer who's yeah. more—I I, I don't know how to put it. If they're they're like a um, an Ari Salvador uh, writes for Forgotten Realms, or uh, Lindsay Sands who writes fantasy uh, books too, they're not quite as descriptive, but they do more dialogue and, and with interactions. Um, right now, what you're seeing with Jordan, uh, especially in the first few books, is so much world building because he's giving you the foundations of what you're going to see later on. And it does, it does stop a little as you go on, but it, he stays pretty much as descriptive, mm-hmm. especially for new things, the entire series, which I personally really loved because I like envisioning it in my head. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the first yeah. books and I've read a lot of fantasy books, uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman being two of my favorite. It's one of the first books where there's more emphasis put on the building of the surroundings and the environment than on the relationships between the characters. So it causes you to kind of stop and pause during your reading. Uh, When Mm -hmm. I have conversations, when it's dialogue, I fly through a book. Uh, Don't necessarily gain Mm -hmm. a complete picture, understanding of what the author wants me to in regards to, you know, the setting but, you know, I know the characters, I know what they're talking about, I know what they're trying to express. But here, you really gain appreciation for mm-hmm. the world that's being built. So yeah, it was well worth reading. Yeah. And it's, it's nice in this way, too, because I already have a, my, I mean, I'm not going to name some of the cities because I don't know if we've had all these cities introduced, but there are cities in here in my head. I have headcanon mm-hmm. of what that's supposed to look like based on what I've read. Um We'll see. I mean, and that's another thing that the show, when the show comes out, uh, and a lot of people are worried about, is because yes, you have the source material; it's there and 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 fine detail. Um, but then again, um, you have cr- it, it, to create some of these things would be super expensive too. So <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a challenge. I always, I've, I've been thinking yeah. about that a lot yeah. in this book. Yeah. It's going to be challenging well, to get have- the details right. It, it, it's it costs. It's not. Yeah, it, you can't. Um, and that's just the adaption from print to screen. It's just, uh, it's nice that you can paint this picture because you're, you're an artist painting a picture where you actually try to put it in physical form. Um, there's going to be differences that you have to, that we don't have <laughs> trillions of dollars to, to build. I mean, when, you, when you look at the show, <laughs> I, I said, I don't know if any of you have ever seen my channel or not. Maybe, maybe not the two first time readers because it, it is quite spoilery at times. Um, but I do, I do a lot of, a lot of news I, have, I talk yes, about the show quite a bit. Um, and I think everyone is going to be pretty surprised at how accurate a lot of the things are going to be. I think the big changes are going to happen when you see something that, for example, a small character who shows up in the first book, uh, but we don't see him for four books, and you see him again, and then you don't see him for another two books, and you see him again. Mm-hmm. Characters like that will probably be amalgamated with other characters. Those will be changes. Um, and I think I'm pretty sure Rafe had gone on record mm-hmm. uh, and Jordan online and said that um, when Jordan wrote these books, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, 
because they were written in the early 90s. They were super progressive for that time frame. Um, there's, I, you may not have seen a whole lot of it just yet in the books, but um, the way he writes about, um, you know, relationships and men and women and um, different aspects and how people interact with each other is all very normal for us today, but maybe not so normal in the 90s. And Rafis said that he'll do that again when he does the show. He'll update it to become maybe a little bit envelope pushing for us today, uh, but 10, 15 years from now, it becomes completely normal. Yeah. Cool. And I mean, and, and to John's point, I mean, there's one character I'm thinking in my head, I'm not going to name the character that shows up well, like mm-hmm. once or twice in the first book and then he shows up again. And by the mm-hmm. end of the series, he's a main character. <laughs> so, and... so it's like, how do you... <laughs> 20 to come on for one episode and then we'll come, come back in three years we're going to keep you on retainer and don't do any don't take any other projects for three years you're going to need you in three years and then another three years we'll need yeah. you yeah. to be don't a do anything role. in the meantime <laughs> like like right how, how do you cast well, that have, for tv it's tough yeah so so um, you could you you could just go ahead and say tom the white <laughs> Tom the White comes back in <laughs> triumph and glory, and he saves the day. You, you, can, you can think of it a little bit that way. Right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's twenty-seven hundred eighty-two named characters in the series, so they're not. They can't show them all. It's impossible. Oh wow! Uh, it's a, it's a lot of people. It's a lot. Yeah. Tom Hanks can play every single one of them. He is so multi-dimensional. He's got it. You, go. you only need to cast him. one person. Just done. Just done. All right. <laughs> Where are we? So, what book are we reading? Yeah. I don't. Even, I don't even know what day today yeah. is. What's we'll happening? Back to the book. Uh, so, so Rand's moving through this crowd. Um, the crowd's getting. He, he kind of, you know, bustles or moves his way to a point where he can see. You know, he can't get any closer, but he's close enough. He's taller that you just hide his advantage. And he sees a ripple through the crowd. Like, and it's it's not in the street, like not soldiers marching through or merchant wagons or people moving on the way. It's in the crowd itself. And he sees people's faces and it's like disgust as people are moving out of the way for something. Um, and then the man kind of falls into the street. It's this filthy man. Beggar. Um, and he just starts staring around and the beggar. Yeah, he's red and starts. It's calling a, out towards whatever Rand ill chance the, the man him. to find him like this, Rand was suddenly sure that, dark friend or not, he did not want to meet him face to face. He could feel the beggar's eyes like greasy water on his skin. Especially, he did not want the man close to him here, surrounded by people balanced on the brink of violence. The same voices that had laughed before now cursed him as he pushed his way back away from the street. Yeah. So it doesn't even say that he really saw the guy. Wait, so Chris, he just felt the guy's present. He knew it was the beggar. He was like, "All right, let me get the heck out of here." Yeah, but but remember who our author is friends with. So like, you in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking there could be some crazy twist. Like initially, I said the beggar. It's probably mm-hmm. Pat and Fane, right? But what if? What if this is Tam trying to catch back up with him? Like, I mean, it could be some, it could be some absurd. I mean, who knows what the hell's going on? But it, it <laughs> I thought of that at this moment. I'm like, wait, if Rand is now so quickly trying to run away from him, what if it's one of those twists where this is somebody he should be meeting up with, and it's actually someone trying to help him? So I, 
maybe maybe t- Tam traveled through time and uh, flashed his way, flashed his way here or something. I don't know. I, there's no evidence in the I mean, in, in the book now thus that, far that, that Tam could be a that, wizard, but... Tam could be a warder, Tam could be um you know a guy that lost himself to the 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 taint. So you're right, it could be him. Like I, I completely agree with you. We just don't know his condition. We just know that he's still alive. Yeah, who knows? But my luck, Tam will never show up in this book again. But, <laughs> but I keep, yeah, Tam and Tom, they're going to show up at some point, I think. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, Rand takes off running. He starts running through the streets, not knowing which way he's going, and he gets lost. Um, and, and at some point, he's on an empty street, stops running, and realizes he's lost the beggar. Um, you know, the, there's no one. It's a complete empty street. I think, like, one person's walking down the street. And, um Ray decides he needs to find, still find a way to see. Cause he still wants to see the game, um, and he can hear the procession of trumpets coming. He knows it's coming closer, so um, he sees this large hill on one side of the street, almost like a cliff, and there's a wall on top of the hill. So he decides to climb the hill. And it's an old wall, so it has little hand places, so he can climb the wall and get to the top of the wall. So before I move on, do you guys want to talk about his decision making here? Or... <laughs> well, I mean, it was very, though it took up about two and a half pages, it was very quick. It's like, he can't follow me. I must have left him behind, but the beggar would not give up. He was sure of it, though he could not say why. He said he wanted to find a view. There had to be a place where uh, he could see the procession pass with the false dragon if he could not see the queen. Like He was just dead set on seeing the game. And suddenly he was determined. So there wasn't really much decision-making. It was like, I got to do this. I'm going to do it. I don't care. And then it's like, I won. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, I, I circled I won. And uh, so we've, we've talked about, I've mentioned tunnel vision before and how that uh, can come into effect when you're in these high adrenaline situations. And so running from the be- the beggar, his adrenaline's already up, but then you hear the procession come in, and this is this isn't a small thing. This is this is a false dragon that's being marched through the streets. This is something you've heard uh stories about time and time again as a child. And and it's almost like uh uh just fictional stories it's just so unreal from the life you're used to so like he's all amped up and he's like i've got to see it this is a once in a lifetime thing his adrenaline's through the roof so he looks at the wall dude he is not weighing all the pros and cons of like what is this wall part of like (laughs) am i gonna hurt myself he's not concerned with any of that he just sees a path an opportunity to get a view of this amazing thing that like never in his life did he believe he could possibly see. So the adrenaline's pumping, he's tunnel vision, he sees an opportunity and he goes for it. So uh, at this point we can look at it objectively and say, maybe this isn't too smart. Like why didn't, why didn't he think about where he was at, but trying to put myself in his shoes, uh, it it makes total sense. And I probably would have done if not the exact same thing, so pretty yeah, similar. Yeah, so. so, so he, yeah, yeah, he kind of said the same thing where he was impulsive. His adrenaline was up. He just, he just did the thing without any thought process of to what the consequences could be. Can you think right now of any 
time before in the book where he did the same thing. And it, in fact, worked out really well or really badly for him shortly afterwards, like a pattern of behavior. Well, before I answer that question, I want to make a statement. Like, Ian, I think it's really funny that you kind of associate yourself with that action because this is a very much hunter mentality. Uh, and that tends yeah. to make the best warriors, the best soldiers. You need individuals that are willing yeah. to rush head first into achieving the goal because those are the individuals that are going to make your best soldiers. You need, um, of course, you yourself are the, are the individual that not only would you rush into that, but you would also be one of those individuals to be able to make the hard decision and then push others forward, which, you know, we still have this idea that um, Rand will become some type of leader in the future. Um, but we see that he does this in these moments where a, a warrior mentality is required, like to answer your question, when he first encountered the white cloaks. Mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the times, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was quick to go for yep. the sword just almost uh, instinctively or just out of a natural reaction. That was a course of action that he took. Um, and then also in the very beginning of the book, when we first see the first fade, like he just instinctively went for, you know, being on guard and then being tunnel vision and focused just on what was this character that's now just come out of nowhere? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't want to read too far into your question, but in the back of my mind, even as I'm reading this with him going up the cliff, is this, is this free will? Or is this something that's, pushing him into some sort of direction is this his fate is this his destiny mm. especially as we read into the next chapter yeah. is 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 this something that some power out there willed him to do and he had no choice because we just we just um, learned last chapter about taviran and what taviran's are and lawyer called him a taviran so yeah is this he, is this the pattern yeah. forcing this or is this I mean, yeah it's good right question. so i Right, I have that question in the back of my head. So I, and the and the answer is, well, I have no effing clue. If, if <laughs> but I'm, way, I'm entertained. In Barrel uh, with the White Cloaks, if he didn't act the way he did, they wouldn't have had to escape the way they did. Do you, do you know what I mean? So there was that. Then again, when he was on oh, Baelman's yeah. ship, um, if he hadn't uh, climbed the mast and been all impulsive and crazy, he would never have found out Matt had the dagger. So there's there's all these little things that he does that, uh, are, that seem yeah. very I mean for him very in character at this point because that's what he does, but they all have major consequences for right. the story. So when when you guys were just saying that you sure. just about Tavern and Loyal did call him one, that's one of the main aspects of Tavern. They they make their own way type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they can kind of bend a little bit, but but even even in in his explanation of somebody that can kind of uh, break the mold a little bit, that means that there is a mold. There is something kind of pressuring them in a certain direction. 
mm-hmm. at, at least at least the way I, the way I read it. If if you're if you're saying there there are unique individuals that can kind of work outside of the normal bounds of things and can kind of work and and make significant changes to the pattern. I mean, that just means there's there's something naturally in place that kind of guides people and everything along. So is this, it just goes back to my original question. Is this him making his choice and he's in control or is this the, the pattern, some sort of destiny Mm -hmm. that is pushing him in a direction? It's a really good question. I don't know. know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So, but, Moving forward, the story. So he does get to the top. He wins, and it's before the procession comes through. And then all of a sudden, he sees the procession come into view, and there's trumpeters and drummers, and then all of a sudden, uh, uh, and soldiers, and then a cage comes into view. He sees all these eyes to die intently concentrated on the man in the cage. And we get a description of Logan. Um, he's, he's proud. He's not, you know, it's not what you'd expect. It's not a man that looks defeated at all. <laughs> so. Um, so I have this like love for the bad guy or the guy made out to be the bad guy mm-hmm. um, so when I read this I was just like oh yeah I was just amped up I was like he's going to be my new favorite character he's not going to die he's going to take over the world <laughs> like that's just where my mind went. I'm like, this is the guy that I want to be on the team with, which is really bad, probably. But <laughs> <laughs> like, there's something about him that just like instantly draws yeah. me. I don't know if it's the confidence and the power. Um, it probably is, <laughs> but it's like Logan's face as he had wanted to. Uh, he said. He was not close enough to see Logan's face as he wanted to, but suddenly he thought he was as close as he cared for. The false dragon was a tall man with long, dark hair curling around his broad shoulders. He held himself upright against the sway of the wagon with one hand on the bar over his head. His clothes seemed ordinary, a cloak and a coat and breeches that would not have caused comments in any farm village. But the way he wore them, the way he held himself, Loghain was a king in every inch of him. The cage might as well not have been there. He held himself erect, head high, and looked over the crowd as if they had come to do him honor. And whatever his gaze, excuse me, wherever his gaze swept, there the people fell silent, staring back in awe. When Logan's eyes left them, they screamed with redoubled fury as if to make up for their silence. But it made no difference in the way the man stood or in the silence that passed along with him. Like, he is a badass. Like, <laughs> this, like, just reading that description just excited <laughs> me so much. And I'm like, he's not going to die. The Aes Sedai don't know what they're in for. This man is the real <laughs> dragon. Like, he is the dragon reborn. Like, stay out of his way. <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh. I'm super pumped that you like him so much. He, he's a really good character. Um, good. And, and you're going to like him more in the show, I think, too. Because, yeah. Uh, do, yeah. You who, do you know who Alvaro Morte is? Yeah. I don't know actors. and I, I hate uh, to say it. I'm he, one of those people... 
He's, if you're not in my life and you're not important, I... <laughs> well, he's, he's a Spanish actor that's in my life. He's, he's really, really big in the Latin community, but not not so much in um, you know the, the English speaking community. But he's he's massive, and he is every inch Logan. Like he is exactly how I pictured the false, the, the, like the false rank Logan in my head. Like when you see him, like just Google him, and and you'll notice as soon as you see a bunch out of him or whatever, you'll say, yeah, that's the dude. Like they did, <laughs> they did a really good job with him, and I'm glad you like him so much. Him. You're, you're gonna love him in the show. I think. Yeah, and as Logan goes into the gates, of course, to make, to make things even more proud, he just throws his head back and laughs um, as he goes in. Um, I just love that aspect. That, that's what like set it over the edge for me. I was just like, he's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when and so I don't, I don't want to like keep throwing out these crazy possible twists and turns, but um, when when I first heard that he was caught and he was being brought up here, I was like, okay, well then clearly false dragon because he didn't really get much done before they finally caught him, right? But then they give this description and his just ridiculous confidence, and he's got what eight eyes to die around him. <laughs> just trying to keep him from tapping into the power, like to control him uh, within this cage. And we already know how powerful one Aes Sedai can be. And there's, and it takes eight. And even with those surrounding him and all the warders and all these people and everything, this guy just leans his head back and cackles at him. So is this one of those <laughs> scenarios where like he let himself get caught and it's part of his fucking plan? Like shit, I don't know. That like maybe maybe he just wanted a free ride to Tarvalon so he could do something like I, I don't we we've seen this and I mean it, it's happened in a bazillion storylines, but haha, we got the bad guy and they're like, Nope, the bad guy has you just where he wants you and then poof he breaks free and suddenly, you know, he's got his knife at the throat of somebody super important. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I started having that thought during this phase. I'm like, why is he so confident? Well, or is he like just crazy? Rand is I guess like, the other he thing. was Maybe defeated, he wasn't he? Like, he wouldn't be in a bloody cage if he wasn't defeated. <laughs> like, yeah. Ex- it's yeah. just no matter so, the cage questions, questions. that had been, uh, that had not been a defeated man. He shivered and rubbed his stinging hand on his thigh. Like, Everything mm. about his demeanor, and I did look up the picture. And that man is handsome. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, just reading this description, yeah. it's just like the epitome of power. Like, I want to be him. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and this comes to like kind of the end of the chapter. So Rand's up in the up on the wall and he asks out loud, you know, thinking, but he asks out loud, he goes, Why are the I said I watching him like that? And you hear here's a, a girl's voice behind his head saying, They're keeping him from touching the sort true source, silly. Um, and that causes him to startle, look and fall off the uh, the wall <laughs> and hit his head. And now, I will say up. at this point I thought maybe men was <laughs> popping back up because we haven't seen her in forever. Uh but I was sadly mm-hmm. not disappointed. So that ends this chapter. So any final thoughts or anything you want to add to that or any questions, John, you might have before we move on to the next chapter? I've got a small tangent. 
Okay. Uh, we don't have to go that far back, but when they were bringing Loghain in, they talk about the Aes Sedai. Then they talk about uh, Mm -hmm. there was a dozen warders, their cloaks swirling and tangling the eye. If the Aes Sedai ignored the crowd, the warders scanned it as if there were no other guards but they. Uh, I just had a little personal relation to that. You know, in in my deployment time, uh, I did some work in personal security detachments. And, uh, you know, when when you train with the best, uh, there are there are other people you might we might have run into other law enforcement. We might have run into uh, other local national military units, this and the other. But there's very few people that you allow to be part of your levels of security. And these warders in this one sentence, seemingly they don't they don't count anybody else as part of the security for this this dragon that they're bringing in for Loghain that they're bringing in. It's them in the eyes to die. Like right. the rest of the guards don't matter. It doesn't matter how many pikes you have. Your bow and arrow doesn't mean shit. Uh, I don't <laughs> care if you're wearing armor. Like the only thing saving you people right now is this line of warders and our Aes Sedai around him. Mm-hmm. So it, it, at least in my mind, it, it gives more credit to what we've already mm-hmm. talked about before and the warders and, and their skill level that's above and beyond your average soldier, your average guard, whatever. That's, that's yeah. a really good observation. Yep. Like really, little, really perspective. good. Like, sure. I, I know you said you didn't research. Uh, was, was it you or who, who said they didn't research Jordan very much? So Chris, do, do Chris mind, doesn't like, research Jordan, Jordan at all. Yeah. Oh, go for it, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he can, he can plug his ears that. if you don't and like it. Go for wrote, it. <laughs> on here. Really well from a soldier's perspective throughout the whole series. The battles, the way the soldiers thought, the way people who fought thought, people who commanded uh, the generals and stuff. He did a very good job of all that because he did have personal experience with that. Mm. Yeah. that de- I mean, that definitely comes through. And, and it's it's already three quarters through this book it's it's shown up well it's been obvious to me in 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 a couple of places so i think you can also tell that his his wartime efforts also gave him a greater appreciation for just the simplistic things in life like he writes about very simple things in such an elaborate way because he's grateful Mm -hmm. like that's one of the the um Things that I look at in regards to him versus Martin, like Martin doesn't necessarily write with a grateful tone. And he doesn't put as much work into the imagery as Jordan did. And though Jordan came first, you you would think Martin would have taken a leaf out of his book. He didn't. Um, so I think that's that's one of the things I really enjoyed is reading an author that really put some work into you know, the little things, mm-hmm. the simple things. All right. Chapter 40, uh, the web Titans. So um, it's a great chapter title. And then we have the icon that Chris, I think calls it his anime thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't watch anime. So the wind star, the wind spire. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I know what it is, but you guys don't know what it is yet. So we, we speculated about what the symbol is, but um, you guys have not, um, you might have hit it, but so far, it's. I can tell you, it's not. It's not what you. The anime thing. 
<laughs> it's the, the dragon fang in between the two powers. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite of the dragon fang. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we know the dragon fang because we see it scrolling doors, but this is the opposite one. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and eventually we will learn what the symbol means. For right now, it's just kind of a, a symbol. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about the title at least, the web titans. I know these, I, I like that we paired these chapters together. And actually, thank you, Chris, for making me move this episode up because I was going to split these in two different episodes. Um, and having weaving the web and the web titans actually it flows better so thank you chris for actually forcing me to do something right uh <laughs> inadvertently just because you just wanted to read the next chapter but still uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah the web titans what do you guys think about the name of the chapter well i'm gonna kind of piggyback off of um ian here if we have this concept that the web is essentially pushing Rand towards a specific destiny then here we see that the 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 um the destiny is now bringing in the the last bit of characters that are really going to have an importance to Rand and what his future looks like. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, we meet a lot of people this chapter. Yeah. Uh. So my my. It's not even a theory. I guess my question of free will versus, you know, this destiny that he's being forced into. Um, the the last these two title chapters weave into the web and the web titans really kind of hones in on that. Like, is this something he's just being forced into? Kind of like what Chris said. And and honestly, and this is where this chapter. I told Chris I got warm fuzzies. I told y'all when we started off, like, I, I just absolutely love this chapter. But really, like, if if I were if I were to say what's, you know, what happened in chapter 40, I would say Rand meets this princess. And that relationship is, it's cool now, but... It's just going to be, it's got to be vitally important as we move on because she's the next queen. And like, so I'm already looking that far ahead. Like Mm -hmm. that relationship is going to pay dividends way down the line. One way or another, it's going to be just crazy important. Uh, And, and so him climbing that wall, him falling off the wall, like all of that, it's, there's no coincidence. I mean, this is, this is him getting pushed in a direction. So Mm-hmm. I'm less question mark, more explanation mark on the getting pushed <laughs> into his destiny, but yeah. <laughs> well, and see, here's where I have a hard time, and I'm thinking maybe a suggestion for the future would be to look at the next couple of chapter titles before we read. <laughs> it might give too much away, though, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I try to make a mental note before I read, but the second you read, uh, it yeah, it, it changes your thoughts on it. Yeah, within, so. with, with, within the same book, I would say that's okay. Uh, if you want to jump ahead like six books and start reading chapter titles, I'd probably uh, say don't do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, like if we were to end our chapter with, and here are the names of the next two chapters, and what do you guys think? Because when I first saw the Web Titans, I was like, all right, so we've got the weaving, and now, you know, when a weaving comes to an end, you have a knot tied off and things kind of get yes. tight towards the end. So like I had this concept 
in my mind that we're finally coming to like an end of, or at least yeah, it's towards the end of something. Mm-hmm. And it could be the end of like the travels towards, and this is kind of getting into the chapter towards Rand like coming in front of the Aes Sedai. Like we, we learn of the foretelling, which is something that, um, we haven't really looked at before. Um, we had mm-hmm. her power of fortune telling or, you know, reading of characters that kind of blow around people <laughs> for her. But then we have an Aes Sedai who is giving a foretelling. I don't want to go into too far into the chapter. Um, but after reading that, that's kind of where the web tightened for me is now we kind of know his catalysts. Like he's got some real importance and it could be a pretty negative impact if not checked sure Mm -hmm. chris you're supposed to tell me when to put my uh floaties on okay that was close (laughs) i was tiptoeing there (laughs) we almost got too deep yeah (laughs) all right so um let's go jump right in so it starts with the shortest dream sequence i think in the entire books um where where rant's sitting at a table with Loghain and Moraine and suddenly uh, they become Balsamon and he wakes up. So it's, it's a very short uh, Balsamon appearance, but um, yeah, it's worth noting that that, that happens. Well, uh, yeah, but- if you look at the way it's read, it says it seems to Rand that he was sitting at table with Loghain and Moraine, the Aes Sedai and the False Dragon, sat watching him silently as if neither knew the other was there. Abruptly, he realized the walls of the room became very indistinct, fading off into gray, a sense of urgency built in him. Everything was going blurry away. When he looked back at the table, Moraine and Loghain had vanished, and Bialzaman sat there instead. Rand's whole body vibrated with urgency. It hummed inside his head louder and louder. The hum became the pounding of blood in his ears. Um, It almost shows three separate factions of power. So then we have this chapter image of what could be three icons or iconic images of power. And then we have three separate powers. We got the Aes Sedai, we got the False Dragon, we got Bialzaman. Huh, I never thought about it that way. That's mm. So though it's a very short dream sequence, to me, it gave me a lot of information. It said that the two didn't know that the other were there as if they didn't realize that the other was aware of Rand. Um, but for Loghain to now be a part of the dream sequence, I don't know if that was because Rand has now seen him and can now put an image to the person or if the, the web is now giving him a greater idea of maybe a choice that he has to make. Um, because we we now kind of have this understanding that Rand does have power, and so now he kind of has the option of where to draw that power from, and that's going to dictate, A, what his power looks like and how powerful he actually becomes, and B, where where his mental state will be, and then C, his idea of how the world's going to be shaped because he is a catalyst. So, John, do you understand how tough my job yeah, is? I, I do. I, I, I completely, ever, like, 
This is, this is insanely difficult not to say anything. <laughs> These guys are good. I mean, like, I, I like this. This is, this is fun, but it, it's hard because there's so many little things I want to say that I'm like, oh, no, I can't say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's tough. Uh, so it, 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 you got three factions. You've got three options for power. You've got ran in the middle and he has to kind of make a decision and that's going to shape the course of the world from this point. And, and Ian is going to put his floaties on and I'm glad I gave warning to other people. So if you were listening to my floaty comment earlier, you were prepared for this and I've just circled that paragraph and I'm just going to read it again later uh, after hearing all that, Chris, because that. I don't want to say you're smarter than me, but good God, that was <laughs> that was good. That was very yeah. good. We but, we all have our, our different strengths. Yeah. Out of scenes, I go to Ian. <laughs> when it comes to lucid dreams, Chris seems to connect well. <laughs> yeah, you you got me good there. Yeah. So, so Rand wakes up, he's sitting on the grass, uh, his head's bleeding, uh, he starts to take in the surroundings, but everything's kind of fuzzy, and he's like, oh wait, there was a girl, oh there's the girl, she's coming down from the tree, and he has a description of this girl, um, yeah, she's a little younger than he is, but extremely beautiful, from what he describes, um, and a boy comes as well. over that either, a deep blue velvet cloak oh. lined with pale fur rested on her shoulder, it hung hanging down, Behind her waist with a clutch of silver bells at her peak. They jingled when she moved. So for a guy that was really out of it, he was really paying attention to her figure <laughs> what she was wearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and once they started the description, I thought royalty right off the bat. Uh, I mean, normally, at least in our world, like purple uh, is associated, well, in in medieval times and older purple is a sign of royalty because the the color itself was just so expensive and so complicated to make um but the deep blue is also associated with somebody of a prominent stature i mean that's that's not an easy color easy dye to put together so like i think like your really bright reds and maroons your your blues your um your your purples generally people wearing those colors uh that's that's somebody who's got stature that somebody has status so i'm i'm thinking royalty already so i wasn't too surprised where this ended up going once he started describing her and all the fur that she was wearing and the velvet and then of course he said he had only seen two women dressed in this fashion moraine and the dark friend who had tried to kill him and matt so like i red flags have been going off for me if i was him but he was just like in awe so she's clearly mm-hmm. a, a beautiful woman Sure. <laughs> he says she was completely different from Egwene in height and face and body, but every bit as beautiful. He felt a twinge of guilt, but told himself that denying what his eyes saw would not bring Egwene safe to Camlin uh, mm-hmm. faster. That boy, he felt a twinge somewhere else, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and a boy comes behind her, and he, he realizes similarities right away that it must be sibling um and they're both they're both dressed the nines they describe his his clothes as well as being uh, extremely uh you know wealthy in in attire only on Um, a feast day would an ordinary man dress in anything like that and never with that much grandeur 
this was no public park. Perhaps the guards were too busy to bother with trespassers. Mm-hmm. And you get their names. So her name's Elaine and his is Gawan. Um, and she goes me as a ran and asks if he's okay. Um, he tries to stand up and falls back down. He's like, I'll just get back over the wall um, and keeps <laughs> obviously not okay. Can't even stand up because he's hit his head. Um, and she, she uh, immediately admires his climbing ability. It pokes fun at him for falling. But, you know, you're great at climbing, but not so great at falling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and she immediately goes to helping him, like trying to bandage him up. And, um, and, and Gawain is, is, is amused. Um, uh, by by all this, uh, he's just sitting back, kind of smirking, um, as this whole scene's going on. So, let's talk about this initial meeting scene and and what your thoughts are as Elaine ban- ban- bandages Rand. Favorite quote: "Hold still." She did not speak sharply, but again, there was that tone in her voice as if she expected to be obeyed. It does not look too bad, thank the light. This right here um, was kind of the part that really caught my uh, caught my attention because she spoke commands without even realizing that she was the same way Moraine did, the same way that um, Nine Eve does. Yeah. So, like, you have these parallels with the, the three different women. Uh, and there are women that Rand is kind of in awe of, you know, and Egwene to an extent too, but she's kind of a lesser person. So like, she's kind of fading the background in regards to the relationship status in my mind, because Rand is clearly attracted to a woman of power. And, uh, of course, any ale man would be, (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm going to continue with that idea, especially with his warrior hunter mentality that he's got to be uh, a, a descendant of that group. So, of course, when he's looking for a woman, he's going to pick somebody who uh, has that firm tone that can command with two simple words because he, like, obeyed almost instinctively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So, so are you now making a prediction that 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 Rand's going to go for Elaine? You know what? This man is going to be a, a world traveler of sorts. <laughs> so, we have, so we have Ian in the men camp and <laughs> and Chris in the Lane camp. Okay. Um, yeah. um, let me see. And, and and while she's while she's going on, um, you know, uh, I think Rand asked, "Does people always obey Elaine like this, or make some kind of comment like that?" And I think. Uh, uh, Gawain kind of sm- you know, smirks at that comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> he said most of the time they do exactly what she says. Most people, not mother, of course, or uh, a, I'm not going to pronounce it right, E-L-A-I-D-A. Elda? No. Elida. 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 And not Lenny. Lenny was her nurse. You can't give orders to someone who switched you for stealing figs when you were little and even not so little. So, <laughs> yeah, there was that that exchange. But prior to that, you kind of get a good feeling of uh, Gawain because he Gawain. makes – or sorry, Gawain. Mm-hmm. Um, Gawain makes a statement 
you are the first human being that she's had to work on in regards to, he says, she's always finding strays and birds with broken wings. You are the first human being she has had to work on. And then he's like, don't be offended. I'm not calling you a stray. And he's like, <laughs> it wasn't an apology, but just a statement of fact. So <laughs> I really like that interaction. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to, obviously, even in this first introduction, like Elaine is super important. Uh, Gawain, maybe, but she, she's the focus here, right? And then we mm-hmm. find out who she is. So I already gave my theory earlier on how she's the next in line to the throne. This this relationship between her and Rand can be gigantic. But anyway, so I'm I'm looking at her, and she could either have a, an extreme strength of character here, as in like her ability to judge and size people up uh, in a very accurate manner. Or she could have a giant character flaw and just be so freaking naive that it's going to burn her at some point. Because this total random ass stranger that, you know, he tumbled off the wall. So odds are they saw his sword on him, right? So Mm -hmm. he's armed, he tumbles off the wall, and she just wants to tend to his wounds and like everything's okay, (laughs) hunky dory. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, it just seemed a little far fetched for me. But then I told myself, okay, I got to leave myself open for the possibility that it's just dumb luck or maybe she has really good judge of character and just in sizing him up and looking at Rand, she didn't see him as a threat, but then we have all these descriptions of Rand and he's no small dude. I mean, he's, he's taller than everybody else in his group. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know with everything going on. It just, it seemed a little odd that she was so quick to uh, be drawn to him and, and be kind to him. And, you know, mm-hmm. well, see my thought on that is, she had her brother who is training with, with the king's guard and he had a little baby dagger a little baby <laughs> but, but you know he Hold still i have a switch i mean come on <laughs> but then there's the other side of that like she is either is or will be trained to be a nice to die which means she can tap into the power and she's been privy to a nice to die her entire life so we don't know the extent of her current abilities yeah true and that's why you know i like i said i gotta leave myself open maybe she just good judge of character and and maybe she has abilities I mean, more than than have been shown up on him prior to him like he was up there for a minute and they got up there with him and he didn't even know it yeah true true yeah. So they move forward and, and they you know they talk and say that you know well, mother mother gives orders to everyone and doesn't listen to anyone except for maybe Gareth you know and they, and they go into Gareth Bryn um, and they introduce this character and he says you know well he's served uh, three queens and he's been captain general for two and Elaine says mother should marry him and and Rand's at this point just listening in like wait wait who who's your mother <laughs> and he was the first prince regent for two as well yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and and Rand's kind of just listening in. I think I can just picture this scene where, like, Rand's kind of like he's hazy. His head just got hit. He's kind of just kind of fumbling around. And as they're going through all the like, just inner dialogue between brother and sister, Rand's kind of starting to put the pieces together. And you can just see his face, the look, like, the look of absolute wait, horror. Who, who, 
Yeah. <laughs> and of course, of course, Godwin goes straight into the titles. Um, you know, the queen, of course, is our. Mother. Uh, <laughs> and Rand- I love the internal monologue, the freak out moment. It's like, yeah. don't attract any attention. Just fall into the queen's garden and let the daughters there tend to the cuss like a hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and Rand's immediately like, "Oh shit, I need this is not good. This is not good." Like, um, he's like, "I'll just be on my way. I'm just gonna go cut, climb, climb the wall, and, be, and leave." Um, and uh, and Elaine says, "Well, you know, we gave you our names. We didn't get yours. Like, who are you?" So it's yeah. like, yeah, you really don't know. For the first time, uh, she seemed a little bit startled. You do you mean you climbed the wall to see Logan without even knowing where you were? you could have gotten a much better view down in the streets. And then of course our first lie, I don't like crowds. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I need to leave. And then he, like you said, he's asked for his name and he's goes into it and he's honest because he's compelled to be honest. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah. And he says, I'm, I'm at Edmonds field in the two rivers. So he like gave his entire title as if it really mattered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Gawain gets excited about that. He's, he's heard of the two rivers and he starts immediately spout off all the things he knows about the two rivers. To back uh, and wool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Alan, Alan, sorry, Alan, this was the, the first time I actually switched in my mind's eye, what character you would play. And for at least this moment, oh, you were Gawain. Because oh, some, somebody somebody mentions that out. Yeah. Now uh, I don't know if the rest of our listeners know this about Alan yet. Um, <laughs> it's not just Wheel of Time trivia. Alan knows a little bit of random ass shit about everything. If he went on Jeopardy, he would win hands down because he just knows ridiculous, crazy stuff. So. Somebody mentions an obscure place. Oh, Two Rivers, Edmonds Field. Alan will go, oh, yeah, I read about that shit in the books. So uh, y'all do that uh, tobacco and wool, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know something about that. Like, that's at least in this moment. So I wanna, That's very much you. I just want to jump in here okay. for a second. You don't know how insulting that was. I'll forgive you. So I'll, I'll give you, you an example without giving any way yeah. at all. I recently did a video on my channel on why I like that character. So I actually do like Alan. He's one. He's not one of my favorite characters, but he's top ten for sure. Uh, and that is not a popular opinion. Everybody, everybody, fucking hates this guy. They think he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> that's so oh, that's great. I like him too. From just reading the chapter, he's very loyal and he does what he's told, but. First impressions, first impressions, Gawain are great. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like this, in this chapter, yeah. Gawain is I mean, fantastic. Like my 30 minute so, video yeah. went through every single book and every single instance and tried to explain why people shouldn't hate this guy. And the best I get out of it at the end was one or two people went, ah, I can kind of see your point of view, but you're an idiot. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> That makes me so much happier about making that uh, making that tie in there. So I'm going to stick with it for the rest of the series. Here you go, Alan. You're not a dark friend. Don't worry. You're guy. Uh, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
And, and, you know, and, 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 and Gawain says, you know, they're stubborn people too. And he says, you know, Elaine, you should marry someone to take a husband <laughs> from the three rivers. They're so stubborn. Uh, be good for you. Take a man with a will like stone to keep from being trampled by her. That's a direct quote. That was, that's how I describe my sisters. I feel bad for the men in her, in my sister's life because there's not one that would last longer than a couple of years because they're too hard to trick, if you call it that. I hate to use that word. Oh, boy. So you can edit. We're, we're going to get lectured on Discord for that comment. Thanks. Real quick. I don't associate myself with that last comment. <laughs> but I think it's funny. You can put that in a blooper reel. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so suddenly a voice calls um, from behind them saying, what's this? Uh, what is this? And we get a description of a new character. It's Galad. So let's let's talk about Galad for a second. What's your thoughts, description, your immediately reaction to meeting this character? Uh, he's a bit of a douche. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, they're a character where something's going to go really bad and he's going to have a mental breakdown Mm -hmm. and he's going to (laughs) become one of the bad characters in the book. He's going to be driven to to something evil. Hmm. Like normally you're obedient characters. Once that catalyst effect occurs, tend to have some type of mental disturbance and then they're compelled because it's their duty to do something particular and driven to insanity Hmm. that's interesting okay yeah so um it's it's funny you say that this is totally random but i was just watching i've been watching the uh star wars um clone wars the animated series and there was just an episode like two nights ago I went through of the stormtroopers where uh, they were put in a situation where they had to stand up to one of the Jedi that was put in charge of them. But there was one stormtrooper that was like, no, we must follow orders. Da, 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 da. And those type of people that are just hardliner, I have to do the right thing. Um, they are susceptible to be overwhelmed or controlled by evil forces because they're so predictable. They can be manipulated as mm-hmm. long as you can make them believe that they're doing the right thing and they're acting the way they were trained. Then you've got them because you know, they're, they're not going to operate outside of those boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just going to say, actually, Ian, and I had a friend from, from high school that was, the epitome of Galat. Now, over the years, he got better, but he was one of those people that would never break a rule at all. Like, you know, to, to, to a fault. Like, he wouldn't speed. Like, he would race people off of the stoplight to the speed limit and then wouldn't go a mile <laughs> over. Like, before he, was, before he was 21, which is the drinking mm-hmm. age here in the United States, um, he would, we'd all be drinking at Buddy's house, and he would smell alcohol because he liked the smell of it, and he wanted to drink it, but he would not drink because it was wrong. And just pretty, like, this is the type of guy he was. Like, nice guy, and he got better over the years, but definitely was was a galad. <laughs> like, like, but the whole thing is like we'd only keep him around it because because his mom, if his mom asked a question, he would tell his mom everything. So 
we had always 100 percent honest <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah great guy great guy but we only cut it around a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> He was cool. So I'll, I'll summarize this guy um, with a little saying I learned growing up in downtown Newport News. Um, <laughs> snitches get stitches. And so he's on my shit list. I don't like him. Can't trust him. Yeah. Like I said, though, he's predictable. So that's a bonus in knowing that about him. But uh, not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. John, do you have anything uh, well, you want to add about Galan? I'll, I'll let you both know he's not universally hated like uh, Galan is. <laughs> no, uh, no he, is, he is 100% um, the character to do the right thing. Um, and that's like they, they say it right in that chapter. Like, I think, I, think, I think there's a direct quote where, like, oh, he'll always do the right thing. He's gone to get the cards. Um, yeah. And to, to a fault. And that to does fault. not change. <laughs> Like he's just he's just that that guy that type of character, and I think George's really good at progressing and growing his characters. But it's really interesting to watch I, without giving anything away, and I don't want to at all. But it's interesting to watch his story arc throughout the books uh, because he is his ideals are just so set in stone, and I I, I can't say anything else. But like I'm not gonna say if he shifts them, removes them, or if he changes at all. Like you know, some people get you know better with age or whatever. But it's really interesting because in a world like that, if you have that kind of ideals, it's generally not a real good thing. <laughs> you have to be able to bend a bit, right? So it's really, it's really interesting yeah. to read him. Agreed, yeah. Goliath doesn't know the meaning of envy. Twice he has saved my life with none to know if he had held his hand. If he had not, he would be your first prince of the sword in my place. Like he has a lot to gain mm. from losing a sibling, and he did. Yeah. He is just that upright character. I, I still worry for him just because he is so much. I was that upright character for a very long period of my life. You know, I was the kid that that didn't smoke, didn't drink. Um, kept my virginity till I was 22, like tried to wait till I got married, tried to do all the right things. And then catalyst occurred and it's like, all right, let's let loose a little bit. <laughs> yeah. a pretty good guy, but <laughs> sure. had a little bit of fun. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, so Elaine defends Rand, but God's have, God is having none of it. So he runs off to go call the guard. Um, and Elaine, you know, has a conversation about Galad and, and how he does the right thing. And, but then before they can sneak Rand out, because they're trying to do that, the guards appear. Um, and I also love this scene as well, because Rand immediately panics, but they're surrounded immediately. Arrows pointed all at Rand, those drawn, swords drawn. Um, yeah. Uh, Elaine then tells the guards to stand down. Um not all the guards lower their weapons, even with Elaine's order. And we meet a new character, um, Tal- Talonvar. Talonvor. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got another vibe from him that he's a maybe not so much the same degree, but he's a Dudley Do Right. I don't know. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I guess that's that's a that's a good way of putting it. And uh, definitely not a fan of Elaine. Uh, and and at least not a fan of her in her youth. Maybe maybe that's the issue. Uh, having some sort of authority over him because it clearly pisses oh. him off when she tells him what to do. Mm-hmm. So, so, but there's going to be some contention there. Be that she is the daughter heir, she yeah. does have authority. Well, I, so, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I ask a question. Can I can I take the next little bit of the chapter and do the synopsis and talk about it a bit? <laughs> because it's it is literally my, go for it. Still, after uh, however many rereads and whatnot, it's my favorite scene in all the books. Like this is my favorite chapter. But this is my favorite scene. So they they, they meet the lieutenant. Uh, they kind of make the the deal where uh, they'll all go see uh, Morgase. And I think Elaine makes the joke along the way when they're going to see her mother that she's never had anyone's head or chopped off from uh, the Grand Hall, uh, which I think was. Some- Meant to put Rand at ease, but really didn't do a good <laughs> yes. job with it because I mean he's he's still a farm boy with little to no experience with anybody any kind of nobility at all, and now he's in a palace. So they go through the maze corridors. They reach the audience chamber. Uh, he follows behind. Uh, Rand follows behind Elaine, um, and he kind of watches Gowan because they all kneel a certain way to the queen, where their their hand is on their sword and their knuckles are in front of them on the ground, and it's it's a sign of respect and loyalty to the queen. Um, and he's congratulating himself on mimicking everybody else type thing. Uh, and then he notices who's else in the room. So he sees Morghese, he sees, uh, he sees uh, Gareth Brynn, um, but what really, really concerns him is seeing Elida. So he sees Elida, who he knows is an eye stock. He's heard it in the streets. He's heard it before. Uh, he knows that she's Red Asha, which means a certain thing, especially with Loghain in the, uh, in the city. Um, and this is my favorite scene because they're all talking what they're going to do with Rand like he's not there because he really doesn't matter <laughs> in this big big group of important people. But <laughs> um, Elena, uh, Elena comes up to him and she, she gives the foretelling about all the things that are happening uh, that are going to happen in the future with Rand that he's at the heart of it um, for Andor and the, and the world and all the strife going on. And then she and this is where I got chills reading the book as a nine-year-old boy and as a 40-year-old man, I still do. <laughs> when she pulled his blade out and seen the heron, everyone in that room was prepared to die immediately. Like, it was amazing. And that, that blew me completely away. Um, and I had someone actually reach out to me on Twitter, uh, Magic, so uh, Morden, at Morden's Medium. He said that was one of the, the best scenes in the book, too, that he liked so much is when Elida does her reading and Elida's reactions to everything that went on with that just kind of showed how important Rand could be because he's scaring and I said I who is supposed to be all powerful well and oh, no, yeah, I'm done. That that's, that's, you go what further, I want to say right there I'm happy uh, I'm gonna back yay <laughs> favorite scene in the book done <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go backwards just to kind of highlight Elida and how much in awe we should be he said, now he saw mm-hmm. the green grass and that only tickled the back of his mind before green, a hundred shades of green, trees and bushes green and thriving, thick with leaves and fruit, lush vines covering arbors over the path, flowers everywhere, so many flowers spraying the garden with colors, some he knew, bright gold sunbursts and tiny pink tallowed 
crimson starburst and purple Edmund's glory, roses in every color from purest white to deep, deep red, but others were strange, so fanciful in shapes and hues he wondered if they could be real. It's green, he whispered. Green. That right there expresses A, how unthoughtful the royals can be because it was kind of just like and I say that it was Gwen essentially that was just like huh it's a lightest work she created nature with her power like she shifted and formed these flowers in this garden and then you have the statement it's not right she asked if I wanted to pick out one of the farms she could do the same for while all around it, the crops still failed. But it isn't right for us to have flowers when there are so many people who do not have enough to eat. So we can see um, Elaine has a heart for the people. She's a true queen. But this Aes Sedai has this power to really manipulate nature. And like you said, she's in awe of Rand's sword. Um, and, and before we even f- go further than that, I just want to bring attention to our, our weird cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> that that just came out of absolutely nowhere for me, so that I know this cat has some type of an important role that we just don't know yet. <laughs> like it's maybe the Cheshire we have cat. To, yeah, like the Cheshire cat, or maybe it's really a human that's morphed into a cat. Like maybe we're gonna have some trippy powers come into play here. I was like, what? What is this the yep. importance of this random cat? And he's like, well, there's no rats around here, but we got this one one weird cat. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> also for the, the cats, though, I think it's just it, it shows how foreign that is to keep a cat as a pet. Like everywhere else in the world, a cat is a, is a, is a work animal like anything else. It's there to keep rats away. But there are no rats here because of the guy, I said, I, and it's just a pet. Like, and that's foreign to, like, Rand. My, yeah. I <laughs> have a cat as a pet. But, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, you get to the scene that, that John just went through where we get to this, the, this, this great hall. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, John set up <laughs> perfectly, like, where Elida just kind of casually comes down to Rand and touches his sword. And immediately takes her hand back and and casually, still casually says a hair and mark blade, and you see the whole room react. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I told you there wasn't a whole lot that I. I mean, I, I love this chapter, chapter, but there wasn't a whole lot of significance I pulled out of it. But I circled these two paragraphs where she mentioned touching his sword, and then she whispered for everybody to hear that it was a hair and mark sword, and like you said. Everybody reacted. All the soldiers, like, they took a step away from him to gain room. Mm-hmm. As in, like, okay, somebody with this sword, like, we, like I, need to, <laughs> I need to prepare myself for this. Like you said, they were ready to die for it. Uh, and even, even Gareth, uh, was it Gareth Brine, was at mm-hmm. the front of the dais between Rand and the Queen. Like, everybody immediately got in this protective posture. So now we're all the way back. <laughs> To where we fucking started with Tam. Who the fuck is Tam? Where did this 
What is what is this sword? Why, why yeah. like I mean, even our first warder, Lan, who we know is a huge badass, like even when he first noticed it, like he was trying to keep his shit together, but like, you know, the way his eyes kind of got big at it and then try to calmly talk after like everybody's looked at this sword. Everybody that knows something about it. Mm-hmm. Look at it and there's a there's a there's a bit of terror there's respect there's uh man i don't know but when she mentioned the haired mark sword the next paragraph it says those last few words acted on the chamber as if she had announced the dark one so (laughs) this person carrying a heron mark sword it's not like there's a dozen of these people running around all of existence at any given time to compare it to mentioning the dark one in my mind, this says it's not even just like a once in a lifetime person who carries this sword. Maybe it's a once in an age or once in a thousand years type person. You don't see this all the time. You don't hear about it all the time. You certainly don't run into this person. And Mm -hmm. the, the, the story uh, about the blade or the person who carries it is well known within this group that everybody's fucking losing their shit. So I, I want to know more about it. Tell me what book you finally learned because I swear I'm going to cheat and I'm going to read ahead. Like this has been killing me since the first couple chapters. (laughs) You know, okay. Alan number two, this isn't helping. (laughs) This isn't find out in book four, man. Yeah, read and find out. I, okay, yeah. no disrespect. I apologize, but I'm yeah. a, I'm hoping it's somewhere in these next five thousand books that we read. <laughs> yeah, I do love. I've got to go back. I love the Queen. I'm just in utter awe of her sarcasms. <laughs> yeah, because I'm a very sarcastic person. And I love the interaction she has with her children. Because yeah. though she's a queen, she does engage them as a mother teaching her children, and she allows them their opinions, and then she comes back with snarky comments. Uh, one of my favorite, a loyal subject from the Two Rivers, my child, you should pay more attention, or um, you should pay more heed to those books. The Two River has not seen a tax collector in six generations, nor the Queen's Guard in seven I dare say they seldom even think to remember they are part of the realm. It's like Randall shrugged. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you see, child? Like, he just gave it all away. He blew. <laughs> <laughs> Poor girl's plan. Like, she's like, let me do all the talking. Let me be in control. And then literally one shrug just blew open her entire <laughs> argument with her mother. I'm like, it was Rand. But then there's also the really important parts that we're, like, skimming over with that red in his hair and gray eyes, two river people are dark of hair and eye, and they seldom have such height. Her hand darted out to push back his coat or such skin. Mm-hmm. He, he just makes a statement. I was born in Edmondsfield. My mother was an outlander. That's where my eyes come from. My father is Tam Althor, a shepherd and a farmer, as I am. But then the argument continues. A shepherd from the two rivers 
Put the hair in my yeah. which we've already looked at. But where was the next part? Um, yet another shepherd from the two rivers with a heron marked blade. Because his stats, yeah. Yeah, he's like, when did you arrive? Where's what I'm really looking for? Yeah, he says, well, how'd you get the sword? Because, well, first of all, they look at they look at Rand and, and, and Bryn says, you know, he's too young. But he says, but the sword's his. Yeah, that's the part that I'm yeah. looking for. He said, myself, I believe the boy is here. Um, through mere happenstance, though an ill one for him to be safe, my queen, I'd clap him in a cell. So, like, he's like, yeah, he's here just by happenstance, but the sword itself, the sword definitely belongs to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by the way he carries it, it's his. Which has come a long way, considering that a few chapters ago, he was clumsy as all get out with a sword. No one would ever suspect that it was actually his sword, and he stole it. And now, and now, even this general of an army is like, that's his sword. It's the confidence, the way he's carrying the sword now, it's his. Well, we've talked about that transition, too, where it was Tam's sword, Tam's sword, and then it was the sword, and then he claimed it as his sword. Mm-hmm. Even I think it was even our last episode where I first found the line where he, he referenced it as his own sword. Mm-hmm. So it's part of that transition where he sees it as a part of himself and it's not just something Tam gave him to take along with him. Uh, and now that's not just evident to some people, but the captain general who you think would have an eye for this sort of thing looks at him and goes, yeah. uh, no, at, at this point, it doesn't matter how he came about it. Like that, it, it fits him. It, it's, it's part of him. It's part of his being at this point. Sure. And, and uh, so you basically had the room divided. So so Gareth Brynn wants to throw him in the cell for a few days just for good measure. Elida wants nothing to wants his head to be cut off. He thinks she thinks Rand's dangerous. She even comes out and says that. Um, and then the Queen's kind of bouncing, trying to figure out what to do, and and even calls Elida out and says, Well, is this one of your foretellings? If it is, speak yourself true at this point. Don't 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 do this eye to die bouncing around tricks. If it is actually foretelling, foretell. And she foretells. This I foretell and swear under the light that I can say no clearer. From this day and or marches toward pain and division. The shadow has yet to darken to its blackest. And I cannot see if the light will come after. Where the world has wept one tear it will weep thousands. This I foretell. And then she drops. Then she drops. Yeah, but then she drops her voice down quietly and continues with the foretelling. So only Rand can hear the second part. Yeah, she says, "This too I foretell: pain and division come to the whole world, and this man stands at the heart of it." I obey the queen. She whispers and speak it clearly. Well, now we know a victory. <laughs> like I, I paused after the first part, and then I paused after the second. It only says that she stands; he stands at the mm. heart. It doesn't say that he's the cause. No, it doesn't. He's the catalyst. He has the opportunity to be the savior from said tears and said pain or the cause of it. 
And I think that's where we come up with a lot of different things. Um, we can go all the way back to just the very title, The Web Titans. And here we have Rand at the center of the web. Like, and normally if you look at a spider's web, the tightest area, because this whole time we've been thinking of a weaving and we've been thinking of a pattern. I've been thinking of maybe like a crocheted blanket or something to that effect where, you know, it starts at the beginning and it has an end and there's a tail and you, you're done. But then if you think of it more or less like a spider's web, you kind of have the outlier, which is weak and it's wide. And then as you continue in towards the center, things get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter to a point. And at any point in time, you can get caught up in that web. And depending on where you get caught, you can get stuck in it and escape. Or you can get stuck and get so twisted up in it that your death is essentially inevitable. But somewhere along that, that web is your spider. And normally that, that spider ends somewhere in the middle and then, you know, will take its place on the web and just wait for opportunity. And so you've got three essential characters that are trying to really pinpoint yep. where... Sorry. No, I said, yeah. Yeah. So you've got three essential characters going back to the dream sequence, and then you've got Rand, and then you've got this Aes Sedai who is essentially telling him, you know, <clears throat> shit's about to go down the center of it. So I was... I questioned why Aleda would tell that last part Presumably just to Rand. I mean, it doesn't say that, but it does say that, you know, she was closest to him, less than arms like the way, and he barely heard it. And really, of all the people in the room that she was trying to keep that away from, it it must have been the queen because the queen was the, the final decision maker here. And so, like, we talked about this before. When we, when we first heard about the queen and the Aes Sedai, and we're like, well, maybe it's a puppet queen and the Aes Sedai is uh, controlling her. But reading this chapter, at least, the queen still very much speaks her own mind. And while she might get some wisdom, she might get some information from the Aes Sedai, and there's probably some help there, the, the queen doesn't seem to have any issue uh, making up her own mind. Mm -hmm. And the Aes Sedai knows that. So why would she keep this line, this part of the foretelling, away from the queen and just for Rand? Well, it's I important. Think it's it's important. Much, Go ahead. It's just as much keeping it away from Gareth as well. True, like, but what would the, what would the queen have done differently if she heard this part? Because, like you said, it's not pointing out that he's the cause of it. Uh, it's pointing out that. All right, this this boy right here is going to be at the heart of it. He's important. He's crucial to what's about to come. And so maybe the queen would have made a different decision to, all right, you're going to travel with my daughter as she goes to Tarvalon or something like that. But she keeps that away from her. Um, 
I don't know. For what purpose? I don't know. Again, I'm just asking more questions and giving answers, but well, we, that think had we, to be intentional. We know the purpose. Like she needs him to be safe from scrutiny. And if Gareth had heard that, he may have changed his opinion and told the queen, not informed the queen, but told the queen to lock him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because Instead he just admit I to die unless you have more foretell concerning him. And then yeah. he just makes a suggestion for a little bit of confinement. And there was really just a suggestion. But I think that our Aes Sedai friend here realizes, again, who Rand is and realizes that she needs him to make it to Tarvalon. Uh, I feel like she's probably going to be, ma- or she's definitely going to be making that trip herself to accompany uh, Loghain. And she's probably just as aware of Rand and the Two River Boys, maybe as Moraine was mm-hmm. or is. Mm. I mean, if the maybe. power be sent around them, because we've heard that from other characters, who knows how much she can see if she's supposed to be one of the top dogs. Yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> she has some men skills and she sees... <laughs> Some things floating around Rand's head. (laughs) John, anything you want to add? There's so much I want to say about that particular scene and what they went through there, but it's just just so hard. But what I will say is (laughs) it's my favorite scene for so many reasons, and, and there are so many little things that happen during that thing that are such a big deal later on. So every, like when you guys are talking about the foretelling and talking about how mm-hmm. people react to him, uh, and even in a few minutes when he goes to leave the, the castle and, and the final words that Gawain gives to him before he leaves, all of it, everything is important. <laughs> everything, everything is important. So that's the thing I can say. So mm-hmm. when you guys are reading into this stuff, it's do it a hundred percent read into it because you should be. <laughs> <laughs> like there's so many little things here. Uh it, yeah. and it just <laughs> without Fantastic. ruining anything for anyone, and I, I don't want to do that. It it's it'll stick with this chapter specifically will stick with you later on. You'll be reading book two or book four, or book six, and go, Oh my god, and you'll refer back to that chapter. Or we'll be looking <laughs> yes. at Rand's wedding to uh Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> so the queen does pass her judgment. Um, she asked a couple more questions to Rand. You know, do you, do you mean to harm Elaine or the Queen? You know, I can't remember all the questions she asked, but she passes her judgment and says, you're free to go. And Elidas and, and Gareth, are, I think, are both taken back by this. Um, but that's her final judgment. And Rand is escorted out of the palace. Um, and he's thinking about the foretelling the entire time. And Elaine kind of tells him about his for- farewell and and this is where he gets to the and and Chris you already said you know calls him handsome, um, but then mm-hmm. but then Gawain um, delivers that last line. He said, "Wrap a shufa around your head, Rand, and you would be the image of an ailman." Odd, since Mother seemed to think you sound like a Two River man. At least I wish we could have come to know one another. Randolph or farewell to you. That's like an ale man. Ale man. Are you man? Yeah. Ale man. 
Yeah. <laughs> so then it, it ends the chapter with him getting out of the gate and just running out of the inner city. Um, just running for running away from all this. <laughs> like, get the hell away. <laughs> I said he could remember Elida's eyes all too well, though. Mm-hmm. And imagine them watching. By the time he reached the gates to the new city, he was running. Yeah. So, yeah. I would have been freaked out, too. Trust me. I get it. Yeah. So, it comes to the end. So, thoughts about these chapters. Any final thoughts or anything we missed or anything you guys want to talk about? I mean, there's a whole lot to talk about, and we can probably talk about this for another three hours but (laughs) um but anything you guys yeah yeah i um i just committed the first technical uh self-spoiler in this entire book and i turned the page (laughs) because i I wanted to make sure we were still i wanted to make sure we were still running with Rand's story uh, which, which, we, which we are at least initially on that first page, uh-huh. and I'm ready to get off of here so I can read it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to. Good deal. Oh, and the chapter symbol. Oh my gosh, I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna get off here and read. Yeah, I want to say thank, thank you so much. Yeah, this was, was, was this fun. was fun. It was, um, it was, I I feel your pain. I <laughs> it was it was it was interesting because there's. There's so many things that um, Thank you. I will let you guys know that even after 45 reads, I'm only 46 read, I still find new things. So every time I read the series, I, I identify with a different character. I like a different character yes. more than I did before. Um, I, I tend to want to follow that character more. Like um, one full reread, I love Matt the most. Then I love Rand. Then I love Karen. Then I'll hate all three of them. I'll love someone else. Um, but I always seem to find new things that I never noticed before. Uh, and I don't know if it's because the book series is so big or because Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson later on, when you get to books, uh, you know, 12 through 14, they did such a good job of keeping everything connected in um, referring back to things that happened dozens of chapters or books beforehand. So like when you finish the series and it's, it's going to be really exciting when you do, I would consider doing a reread just because you're going to, you're going to realize so much from the first <laughs> you'll see and get so much more from the book. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for coming out. We really do appreciate it. And, yeah. uh, hopefully you can show me a picture of a Shufa. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much guys for having me on. I appreciate that. Uh, you, right. guys, you guys have a good night. Thanks so much. Uh, how are you can be found? Uh, we're at the will reads, um, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, the will reads at gmail.com is how you can email us. Um, also we do have that wonderful Patreon that I think we've talked about before. We're doing a bonus episode tonight. So Ian, no, you can't read quite yet, but very shortly, we're not gonna do a long one. Um, but it'll be, we need it for our Patreons. <laughs> and, uh, okay. um, it, we were, we're not gonna spend a lot of time cause we're already running late. Um, and discord as well. Join our discord. We'd love you to be there. Um, also, rate, review, like us, share us, tell your friends about us. Uh, we'd love more listeners to come on board. We're growing at a very, very good clip, but would love to grow faster. So uh, keep that in mind. Anything else you guys have before we sign off? No, Until sorry. next time. All right. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See you all next time. <laughs>